welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. I'm Nate Larkin, here on a beautiful spring afternoon in Franklin, Tennessee, sitting with one of my very best friends, our co-host, late of the West Coast, now a Middle Tennessean himself, Aaron Porter. Hey, Aaron, how are you? <laughs> that was really, that was all smooth. That was amazing. <laughs> well, and here we are, this is now becoming a regular thing. We are hitting our stride, are we not? We are hitting our stride. Yeah. Yeah. And filling up the calendar with great guests. I'm looking forward to uh, our um, our guest today. But I, but we also have been getting some nice mail. I'd like to read uh, a piece of mail. What do you think? Love to hear it. Okay. This is, this is quick. I like it. Yeah. They're like, ah, oh, they're going to give, like, what's the weather like in... Franklin, Tennessee. Screw that. What's in the mailbag? Okay, here we are. Mailbag. Okay. We, we don't have a mailbag song. We need a mailbag song. We uh, don't have maybe one. between now and when I edit this, I'll come up with a mailbag song. All right. Uh, I, I want to read one of the letters we got last week. We did get several, but I want to pick out this one. We got it from Clint. He says, uh, hi, Nate and Aaron, a longtime listener. I wanted to write in because I was intrigued by the conversation in the podcast number 239, with David Cassidy, mm -hmm. and connected to episode 140 with Randall Thomas. Samson, it's about Samson not being a place where we come to disagree theologically, but rather a multi-generational brotherhood that creates a space for healing. I'm an Enneagram 9, so I want to keep the peace while secretly reforming everyone. Uh, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for me, I've struggled with my own theology through my addiction. It's brought more th things to light. It's made me dig deeper into what I really believe and see exactly where the rubber meets the road as far as my own Christian walk. I know that in virtual Samson meetings, as soon as I unmute my mic and say the words, Hi, I'm Clint, I will inevitably reveal how I perceive myself how I perceive God and my personal bent on an interpretation of Scripture and also how I view the world around me as an older Gen Xer. And my theology will leak out along with my fears and my shame as I try to bring my whole self to the group. My Silas doesn't go to the same denomination as I do. He's older. My Silee doesn't either. He's younger. In fact, we all live far away from each other. To be honest, the people I go to church with and the guys I meet face-to-face -face with differ on exact interpretations of Scripture, and even my wife and my children and I don't always see eye-to-eye -eye as far as exactly how to interpret the Bible. I'm open to discussing theology differences, but I know that it has the potential to be a never-ending rabbit trail with political rest stops. I'm not willing to die on the hill of theological hair-splitting. Honestly, I'm more interested in how to make my insides match my outsides, to remain fully present in the moment, and to be a blessing to each generation I come in contact with. Samson is making this a possibility. Thanks. I'm Clint. Thanks, Clint. Yeah, thanks, Clint. And thanks uh, to the rest of you who wrote in for various reasons. Uh, always love to hear from the listeners. You know, also this week, Aaron, um, I ran across a blog written by our old friend Chad Bird, who was on mm -hmm. an earlier episode discussing his book Night, Dri uh, Night Driving. Yeah. 
Yeah. He was our, our trucker friend. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I really love this blog and wanted to share it on the podcast. So this is at uh, chadbird.com. The title of the blog is, We Are More Than the Skeletons in Our Closet. This is what Chad writes. Want to do something that people really love? Commit an act of infamy. It doesn't have to be a mind-boggling evil. Something run-of-the-mill will do. It just needs to be simple, scandalous, and public knowledge. Think Monica Lewinsky. Why? Infamy allows us the opportunity to hone one of our favorite skills, to shrink a 343-page life story down to a single paragraph that narrates what happened on one day at a certain hour and in a certain location. We can whittle an entire biography down to a single tweet. Then, with the authority invested in us by the state of self-righteousness, we proclaim this and nothing else is who you are. Just ask Thomas. Sorry, I mean doubting Thomas. Oh, I love they bring this up. He's the only guy from Genesis to Revelation who has an unfavorable adjective sticking out like a zit in the front of his name. We haven't christened them murdering Cain, womanizing David, or even betraying Judas. These other men have given us the gift of infamy as well, but we've spared them the title to go along with it. For us, the defining moment for Thomas is in the upper room when he protests that he won't believe Jesus is alive again until he puts his finger in the wounds. This is core Sunday school curriculum stuff. But it's not the only story in which Thomas has a part to play. In John 11, when Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick, he informs his disciples they are heading back to Judea to see him. But they protest, very bad idea, Jesus. Look, the Jews were just trying to stone you, and now you want to return? That's crazy talk. Jesus replies, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. It appears, however, as if one person already did believe without a shred of doubt, without a displaying an ounce of fear, in firm and full confidence of faith, one disciple speaks, and it's our old friend Thomas. He says to his brothers, let us go also that we may die with him. Did you even know that it was Thomas who said that? Now, there's a man with a backbone. There's a man with conviction, courage, confidence, Come on, fellas, don't stand around with your hands in your pockets, hemming and hawing about what we should do. Look, if Jesus is going, I'm going. If he gets hurt, I get hurt. Let's go, brothers, that we may die with our Lord. And yet no one has dubbed him courageous Thomas, bold Thomas, or believing Thomas. He's doubting Thomas. Why? Because we prefer to remember people by the scandalous things they've done. We say, that episode of doubting, Thomas, that is who you are. That and nothing else. Who are you? What adjective might people stick as a preface onto your name? Lying Lori, cheating Charlie, greedy George, pothead Paul, boozing Bob, porno Paula? Or are you the type that tacks a preface in front of your own name? 
Do you self-identify by the skeletons hidden in your closet? Do you sew onto your own clothing the scarlet letter of secret shame? Let me tell you who Thomas really is. He is neither doubting Thomas nor believing Thomas. He is Thomas. And more than that, he is Thomas, the son of our Father in heaven, the brother of Christ. Jesus doesn't identify Thomas by his doubt or his faith, his bad works or his good works, his virtues or his vices. Jesus identifies Thomas by that man's union with himself. And so he does with us. We have died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Who we are is subsumed into the biography of our Redeemer. All of us are more complicated than the singular narrative by which most people identify us. We've done very bad things, very good things, and plenty of cocktails of them both. Most people will remember only the bad. So what? Let them. We have a God who remembers only the good, and the only good he remembers is the good that Christ has done for us, in us, and through us. Who are we? I am Chad, the child of God. You are Paul or Bob or Cindy or Kathy, Thomas or Travis, all children of our Father, believing citizens of the kingdom of God, each of us birthed anew and bathed afresh in the waters of grace. If we want to reduce our life story down to one adjective, if we want to whittle our biography down to a single word, then let it be this, beloved. The most gospelicious thing I've heard in a long time. Isn't that fantastic? There's nothing to add to it. And despite the lingering effects of sin, I am a restored son of the sovereign Lord, whose spirit is at work in my weakness, displaying his glory and advancing his kingdom. Yeah, screw it. Let's stop there. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. We're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast, and our guest today is a longtime podcast listener, uh, a guy who is uh, walking this journey. His name is Josh Mast. He's joining us from Indiana, north of Indianapolis. Josh, uh, it's good to have you with us. Thanks for thanks for uh, uh, signing in. We're, we are, by the way, inter- interviewing Josh through the marvels of the same Zoom technology we use for virtual meetings. We get paid for that? You can't just throw that out for not getting paid. <laughs> Through the marbles, the marbles of mm, 
technology, if you'd like to know what technology that was, Zoom pay us. All right. Anyways, Josh. Yeah. Uh, well, Josh is a blogger and uh, happened to cross his blog a little while ago and just saw some fascinating stuff. So uh, give us a little thumbnail, if you will. Uh, I will tell our listeners, Josh, you are a, a firefighter and uh, a paramedic, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, a married guy and father of no fewer than eight children. Yep. My, uh, my life's pretty interesting. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I know we need to get <laughs> to the firefighter brotherhood questions, but I think how did eight happen? Because <laughs> well, I, I, when I got to four, I was like, whoa, okay. Okay. Everybody. I'm going to hit the brakes. This is it. That's all I can do. Do you want me to give you the scientific answer? Yeah. <laughs> As long as not the gynecological answer, but if, it, if it's like sociological, yes. Uh, yeah, I, we, we just made a decision uh, early on that we were just going to walk whatever direction Jesus led us with our kids. And we weren't looking to be like, you know, John and Kate plus eight or the Duggars, but yeah, things happened and we were blessed. So that's it, awesome. Just, we went with it. That's, and I grew up in a church where there were a lot of 10 or more kids in a family home. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm like okay. super familiar with that. And yeah. I always thought like, man, that's, that's so cool. You can do so much with that. And then I hit four kids and went, I'm out. I'm out. I tap. I tap. <laughs> yeah. I didn't come from a big family. I've got one, uh, brother from my dad's first marriage. And then when he got remarried, I have two sisters that are both 14 and 19 years younger than I am. So this wow. large family thing is, is not something I was familiar with. But you're familiar now. <clears throat> there you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm quite familiar with large families. I'm, it, the oldest of, I'm the oldest of 10, so I know all about the deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can tell Josh what he should be expecting from his oldest. <laughs> yeah. So they'll be resenting exactly this. And Allie and I parenting. stopped at three, so I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Josh, give us a yep. little, give us a little of your backstory. Uh, were you raised in a Christian home? Yeah. Uh, so I, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, my mom was in California. Uh, her dad was in the Marine Corps. So she was born out there close to, I think Pasadena is where they have that base at. Um, my dad, his, his family history is, I wasn't kidding. Amish Mennonite back as far as they can reach. Um, so it, like when they got together, it was like watching green acres. Um, they had kind of a rough marriage. Um, my mom dealt with a lot of, uh, stuff from her past and some of that creeped into their marriage and it just didn't end up working out. So, um, fast forward to me. I met my wife at church and we both uh, worked in the nursery, taking care of kids for the Wednesday night Bible study group. Um, I wasn't man enough to just ask her what her name. So I thought it'd be what her name was. And I thought it'd be slick and try and read the name tag on her uh, glasses case. Laura Ashley. It was the brand. <laughs> so, that was her first impression of me. Uh, yeah. Wait, so did she figure that out immediately? And she's like, first impression, 
He's an idiot. No, like, what? It, it, she thought I was an idiot well before that. But it, <laughs> it took her about, I don't know, 10 minutes to figure out that I was calling her Laura because that was the name on her glasses case. She's like, my name's Beth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it pretty funny. Um, so I, I wasn't real sure what I wanted to do after high school. My grandfather was a minister in a Mennonite church. And after some conversations with him, I opted to go to Johnson Bible College in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I spent several years down there. It's good, good learning experience. Um, I didn't end up walking that path is I got very disillusioned with the kind of the corporate structure of the church. And um, one of the things I had to do for my degree was uh, 40 hours of community service every semester. So the guy that I worked for my campus job was the fire chief for the campus fire department, which was connected in with a uh, local volunteer service. So I jumped into that and just never looked back. And when I came home in the summer uh, to work my summer job, my now father-in-law was also a member of the volunteer ambulance corporation. And I, I got into that. Because so, he said, if you're going to work here, you got to drive me. Yeah, okay. Pause, though. What what was it about you volunteered, you never looked back? What was it you experienced that made you go, yep, there it is? <laughs> um, the best way I can describe it is I was learning about how, you know, in my classes, how Jesus expected us to act with each other, how we're supposed to... Uh, live in community, love each other, take care of each other, you know, lay down my life for my brother, that kind of stuff. I wasn't experiencing that. Wow. My fellow students in the dorms. There's a lot of late night yelling discussions about baptism and doctrine. <laughs> and I go to the firehouse with a bunch of dirty pagans who are, you know, chewing and drinking and smoking and doing all these things you're not supposed to do. And they were doing a better job of living the example than any of the guys I was on campus with. Dear listeners, Josh me. is not currently saying that all firefighters are dirty pagans. <laughs> Just some That's of true. them. That's true. Wow. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. go on. I was I was yeah. backing you up on that. That's what oh, brothers no, you're, do. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've heard veterans. I've heard veterans say the same thing that they're uh, that they're. Uh, most authentic experience and very often their only experience of brotherhood was with the guys they served with, especially if they were in combat. And here we are supposed to be uh, loving each other as brothers and being willing to lay our life down for our friends. And somehow this uh, individualized version of the Christian faith that we have concocted leaves us insulated from one another. And that appetite, that built-in uh, appetite for brotherhood goes unmet. And uh, you found it. You found it in the firehouse. And did you recognize yep. it immediately? Like you just went and said, oh, this is why I went to this school. This is what I was looking for. <laughs> It it took it, honestly. It took me uh, probably two or three times of being there, because um, the 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 first couple months that I was involved with them, there was there was a lot of having to prove myself. Um, the the one thing that they would they would do is is to put me in situations where I had to prove my metal. You know, like 
they'd uh they'd have me get my turnout gear with an air pack and put a a, a piece over my face mask so i couldn't see and then like shut my air bottle off and i'd have to work through it and it wouldn't help me um or they would put me in a, a group um where i'm in charge and they'd like do stuff to make the situation harder like that i'd be crawling down a, a dark hallway and they'd you know loop something around my air pack so i'd get stuck and i'd have to be like whoa guys we gotta stop working through this and some people can't handle that they can't handle the the claustrophobia wearing the mask they can't handle the heat they can't handle the stress and those are the ones that need weeded out because when you're in those situations for real if i can't count on the guy behind me to keep his stuff together we're not going home okay i don't know where this conversation's supposed to go as usual but your how did you feel towards those people that are like, I'm going to shut your air off. I'm going to make this really hard on you because you got some stuff to learn and we care enough to either know you're going to figure this out and be one of us or you're not. But did you hate them for it? You're like, you shut my oxygen. You know, if someone <coughs> shut my yeah. air off, my oxygen supply, I'd be like, you're a real jerk. <laughs> like, did you feel yeah, that I'm or did you I, get I, it? I, I didn't like think a couple of them were real assholes for it but yeah i i understand now why they did it and those those guys i could walk back in there and you know it'd be high fives and handshakes how you doing um but i've noticed that when you're when you're in a culture with a lot of aggressive guys who purposely put themselves in high stress situations that's that's kind of an expected part of life um and it tends to bring the group closer together as long as it's done with the understanding that we we're doing this because we care about you and we're doing this because we care about each other and we need you to show us that you're going to be able to toe the line yeah and you just said it's a necessary part if you can't like this is a necessary part of maturation as a yeah. firefighter and this is this is the part that I'm sure wasn't supposed to be the conversation. We go through suffering where we feel like God's just shut off my oxygen, and we think God yeah. must just be a jerk. He's an asshole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We might not say it because we're like, theologically, that's inappropriate to call mm -hmm. God that, but we think it. And yet we know as parents, we deny our children things because it's necessary for them to grow up, and they think we're assholes. Oh yeah. You in training, they knew they knew more than you and they said, "Ah, it's not that I want you to suffer, but this is really necessary. Trust me." So, yeah. how does that fit into how it changed, you know, you came out of this uh theological idealism, found a bunch of stuff in the firehouse and right at the beginning you're discovering that people that know more than you cause you suffering so you grow up and have the skills to not die. It's greatly changed my perspective on life. <clears throat> I'm, I've learned that I need to be more willing to do what's necessary to achieve my goal rather than do what's comfortable. Um, I, I would probably say if I could go back 20 years and change things around so I didn't do that, that the me that went through these 
experiences with my brothers and the one that didn't, we would parent different. We would look at life different. I would have a different view on friendship and what it means to... <clears throat> okay just talk through it that's my favorite right, song <laughs> that was me i will i'm gonna cop to that listener it's nate is the guy who didn't mute his phone yeah. okay oh, by yeah. the way can you have my phone real quick so i make sure it's <laughs> muted uh it, it is it's it's really odd for me to think about the the experiences that i have at work and how they translate over to is this being uh, recorded? You know, stories you see okay. in scripture and, and lessons and um, the things that I learned in my Bible classes about how we're expected to interact with each other. Because I, I feel like the more time I spend in this career field, the more I feel like I'm physically living the gospel out and, and what it means to to be a Christ follower and not that people that don't do this aren't doing that, but there's something very visceral, I guess, about uh, reading something in scripture about, you know, this is how I'm supposed to treat my brother and then actually being able to go do it in a very real physical sense. So what are some of those things? Cause we're talking uh, people are in the military together, police officers, firefighters, you're talking high stress, uh, vocations people chose to be in yeah but there's a quotation yeah. there's a quotation that i like which is that <clears throat> every person you meet is in a great battle uh, and i know that it's true i also know that for some crazy weird social cultural reason most <clears throat> of us conceal to those around us the battle that we're actually in uh it's hard to make the emergency call the desperate call uh, and you're only going to call somebody you trust. And most of us will only do it when it finally becomes obvious to us that the crisis has reached such a point that it's beyond our uh, capacity to handle. Um, yeah, so I think, I think everybody's in a battle. <clears throat> and a functional brotherhood acknowledges the fact that everybody's in a battle. And and uh, and we have the humility to ask each other for help. Yeah, but you're in a situation where they've been equipped to know how, like the older brothers, know how to help the younger brothers. They turn their oxygen off. They've been trained on how to ha <laughs> <laughs> haze people. Uh, so where's where's that training? I mean, practically, I know we can make yeah. it very poetic. Yeah, but how do we do? this link between guys that they're in the battle. Yeah. But they don't know bridge the gap between these two. Yeah. And I still want to know what biblical principles you found uh lived out in the firefighter world. But now we've got two things going. I'm juggling. I don't care who answers. Okay. Uh go ahead, Josh. Balls in your court, <laughs> brother. But okay. Um if Biblical principles, uh, like I, sh I should be willing to give myself for others. Um, I should put my, I should put others before me. Um, it's my. So how do those those two right there? I mean, you're talking, you're living communally, mm -hmm. so that can yeah. be just practically. I'm going to make sure to do my job 
because I'm living with a bunch of guys. Uh, clean up my stuff. Uh, I, I saw one of your blogs about the first time you're, you're cooking uh, for people. You got your recipes up on your blog. Like that was a, you guys are living communally, but you're also yeah. talking, we're fighting a fire and there could be a life and death moment where you have to put yourself fully in the line of fire, literally, for another guy. Yeah. So what are you thinking when you say that? What well, I guess what I'm thinking when I'm saying that is I it it's it's my <clears throat> I'm going to use the phrase my job and that comes from uh, Bill Belichick. You know the reason New e- New England Patriots like him or hate him win so many games is because Bill Belichick drives into his guys just do your job and with with that doing my job within my crew, within my department, uh, is to make sure that I'm doing everything in my power to not be an inconvenience to somebody. So I need to show up early. I need to make sure that I'm there an hour ahead of time. That way the guy I'm relieving can get off on time and be home to his family. Cause if he catches a run late, he may not get back and be able to until an hour after supposed to, I need to make sure that I have my stuff squared away for the day. I need to have 10 bucks in my pocket for meals. Cause that's what it costs for me to eat two meals in the firehouse. I need to make sure that my gear is clean and ready to go. I need to make sure that my air pack is, uh, charged with air and it functions properly. I need to make sure I know what position that I'm riding on the back of the engine or ladder or in the medic truck and what my job is in that seat. Cause each position, depending on how many guys are on a rig has a specific, set of tasks that they do. Okay. But what I you're saying need is to make sure every, every thing that you just listed affects another man. Yeah. So it's a body of yeah. Christ thing that scripture makes clear, but in the church, it's like, well, no, the staff at my church take care of all that shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I need to take personal responsibility for me. Yeah. And if, if I were to transfer that to the body of Christ scenario, I need to take personal responsibility for my faith. And I need to take personal responsibility for my kids. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's my job. Um, I was really taken by one of your blogs where you talked about staring into the abyss. Uh, I'm sure that in your years of service uh, in the fire department and uh, making medical runs as well as fire runs, you've seen some pretty scary stuff. Uh yeah, what does it what does it mean to you to be staring into the abyss? Uh, and what do you see as the application for every man? Well, there's. I'm I'm looking at that right now. Um, there's there's two quotes that I use in that post, and the one is the, the one from Nietzsche about staring into the abyss, and the other one is from the Vietnam correspondent about once you've seen war, you'll always see war. Um, what inspired me to write this was just thinking about some conversations I had with a really good friend and mentor of mine that's recently passed away. And, uh, listening to how this one really terrible run he had greatly affected his life. Uh, they got, they got a 911 call for a sick person, which is a very vague 
thing. It could be anything. Um, so they roll up this crappy apartment. They go upstairs and there's a mother who's been deceased for several days um, laying in bed. There's a baby in the crib who's been deceased for a couple days and there's a five-year-old and what ended up happening was the mother had an asthma attack and perished from the asthma attack Um, since the five-year-old is not old enough to know how to take care of the baby the baby ultimately died of starvation and the only reason that anybody came to her rescue is because she was finally able to make it out of the apartment and teeter totter down to the landlord's door and get their attention um that that was an extremely hard thing for him to deal with um he he told me that he almost he almost left the job because of that um and that, that was, he told me that as I was getting in, um, because he saw that I wanted to head a certain direction with my career and he wanted to make sure that I had a complete view of the scope of what I could be getting into. And I've, I've had similar experiences. Um, it, it rips your soul to be put in these positions where, you're literally holding someone's life in your hand and you fail. Uh, you personalize it. And I mean, yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, if I did my best, it's not my fault. You know, I, I can't, I can't make somebody follow the textbook and react to my treatment this way. It just, God didn't make us that way. Um, I can't make a fire go down this hallway instead of that hallway. And not take this person's life. I just have to accept that things are the way they are. What does someone do yeah. when they didn't do their best? Like, you know, and they didn't think it would end badly, but they didn't do their best and something went wrong. And then they live with that afterwards. I've, I've seen guys work through that. Um, typically there's a lot of, there's, there's two pathways that that goes. So typically there's a lot of regret, remorse, and eventually they get over it. They do a better job next time because these are mistakes that we only make once. Um, the, the guy who goes down the other path is too arrogant to realize it. And mm. that still eventually eats at him. And those are the people that I see kind of get into destructive patterns because they're so they're so worried about their self image that they don't want to face this. So they, they drown it in alcohol. They medicate it with name your addiction. Um, or they just turn into really, really arrogant guys that are addicted to themselves. That's a really good insight. Uh, yeah, until we are willing to face and own our own failures, and all of us have failed, we can try and tell our story, uh, try, try to tell ourselves the story that we've always done our best, but deep inside we know we haven't. Yeah. And uh, being able, uh, until we're willing to own that and grieve it and accept it, um, yeah, we're, we're going to be 
driven to medicate, and it will make us into arrogant and obnoxious yeah. people. Yeah. If if I may, I want to read this quote because I I know that like we've read it, but I don't know if the listeners will have any idea what we're talking about. It's uh, Nietzsche. He says, he who fights monsters should take care not to become one himself. For he who looks into the abyss, the abyss looks into him. And that's, that's something that about, I would say, five years ago, I, I really saw how much it was the abyss was looking into me and how much I was becoming uh, the monster that I was fighting. What, what did that mean? Like what was going on? I I went through a, a rough period. When I I started out working in a small local hospital in a rural community, um, wasn't a lot of action, we like to say. And I got a chance to go up to the big leagues and work for the city of Indianapolis. A uh, lot more calls and a, a lot more frequency of serious calls. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't taking the time to make sure that uh, my head was right when I got home. I wasn't taking the time to make sure that my my spirit had time to recover from this stuff uh, after a given amount of time. And things just started stacking up uh, because I, I was so busy that I, I, I couldn't deal with it. It's the way you do. You know, you stick it in a bottle, put it on the shelf. I'll deal with it later. And then my dad died, and we went and adopted a, a child. And then my wife's grandfather that we were taking care of passed away. So all this stuff started happening all at once. It was a lot to handle. And all those boxes of yuck that I had on the shelf started falling down. And busting open and I uh, turned into a pretty awful person for <laughs> a little while. Um, I made some really bad decisions and it's only by the grace of God that I was able to uh, walk through that and that my wife and I were able to stay together. Mm. So what were some of the ways that you, after the abyss was looking into you, you said, I need to make these choices. What were the choices and, how long did it take to start to turn that corner? Uh, you mean from the point where I, I realized things were going wrong? Yep. To, that that was a really difficult journey uh, because the other piece of this, and it's, it's honestly the one thing that really attracted me to uh, you guys' stories in the podcast was uh, ever since like, I don't know, fifth grade or earlier, I had been uh, exposed to and involved with pornographic material. And that was something that I, I, I fought against. I, I didn't want to admit that it was a part of me. Uh, I didn't want to face it, but it was something that was just, it was there. And it wasn't like I was spending 20 hours a day on the computer but it was something that I didn't want to be a part of my life, but I didn't know how to get rid of it. And I, I still hesitate to this day to use the term um, addict 
and it's not because I'm ashamed of it. I just, I don't want to put something on myself that mm -hmm. yeah. should be reserved for somebody else. You know, I, I don't want to be the guy that's got a broken finger like, Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> it's, it's not right. Uh, and that may be the wrong way to look at it, but anyway, so that played into, um, a lot of the destructive decisions that I made moving forward, uh, because it went from me seeing this stuff to not knowing how to deal with my stress yeah. and wanting to act that out yeah. as a way to, to deal with my pain and hurt. And, uh, I found that I was very susceptible to, uh, getting into very close tight relationships with people I worked with. And it's, it's easy to do when you're in a high stress situation and get close to somebody real fast. It's a bad thing when that's another woman and you're a married guy. And that's something that happens a lot in the emergency service realm because when you walk through something like that with somebody that's uh, intense and it's stressful, it, it's hard not to form a bond with that person. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I realized that I need to be very cautious of is when I, when I got into it, I was ignorant. I didn't, I didn't understand that. And that played into a lot of the bad choices I made. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, how long have you been blogging now, Josh? Oh, can we, uh, can we save that for one second? I have, you were yeah. looking at me for the, if I had a follow-up question. Oh, you have a follow-up? Okay, I, go I ahead. Do, I do. Okay. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not ask this in a specifically fireman context because it might be okay. different. Um, but I know with, with a lot of, uh, with a lot of men that I've worked with that were in the military, they had similar bonds and they had these brothers that they experienced these things. They were initiated into manhood essentially through it and found yeah. community. And yet yeah. it was also a community that had some different rules as far as pornography and women. Like it ended up not being helpful. They, they weren't the men that, we're helping them see what you just described. They were guys saying, yeah, this is a culture of, you know, this is, this is us being men. So where it was yeah. incredibly helpful on one side, giving a physical representation of brotherhood, it also wasn't helpful on another side of saying, here are the dangers uh, of uh, false intimacy. So how does that fit in and we're going to come back to Nate's question later mm -hmm. with every man's in a battle. So how do we all figure this out? Because you're <laughs> living it in a firehouse. There are guys living it in the military. There are guys who have not been in the military or the firehouse who are still in the battle. we got to figure all this out. But there are different layers to this, and you're describing yeah. something that I don't know how it is in the fire world, but I know when a bunch of guys get together, they can create a culture that isn't always helpful whether it's the jokes, I'm even thinking of non-firemen, you know, oh, you sure, might be with yeah. your guys and you make certain jokes and certain norms are created that somebody should be saying, you know what, guys? It has nothing to do with what God wants for us as men. But exactly. Get enough guys together and <clears throat> no one says that. Mm -hmm. So give yeah. me some perspective on that. Well, it, it, firehouse, 
corporate office, military barracks. It's all the same. It takes it takes one guy with a set of balls to stand up and say, you know what, we, we shouldn't be doing this. We really shouldn't be talking this way. This isn't honoring uh, this this guy that we work with that's disabled. We shouldn't be making jokes about him. This isn't honoring the the women that we work with. We shouldn't be making inappropriate jokes about them. I, what I see is there's a culture that we're in of immaturity and uh, almost a fear to be that guy, the one that, that stands up and says, this isn't right. And I, I, frankly, I don't understand it, but at the same time I do, because I've been in a position to be uh, the voice of reason, I guess. And I haven't taken it because I was afraid of what my friends would say. And being on the other side of where that can lead, I don't care anymore. I don't care if I damage my relationship with you because I, I wouldn't stand there and listen to uh, the negative stuff that you were saying about you know this guy's wife or this yeah. lady that you saw on TV. It, it's it's not productive, um, and I I think that the one thing that you know, the men that I work with miss is we're, we're supposed to be our brother's keeper. Okay. We're supposed to look out for each other. And I may be looking out for you physically, but am I looking out for you spiritually? And uh, that's the biggest piece that gets missed because it's also not an environment where we talk about religion a lot. Uh, it's not an environment where we talk about Jesus a lot. It It's, it's a tough place. And, that's a, a tough place to go sometimes. There's a there's a nuance in there about being responsible to your brother versus being responsible for your brother. Yeah. Like yeah. there there is still the you're gonna have to make this decision. I can't make it for you. And, yeah. And that can be confusing. But sometimes. I've got a responsibility to tell you the truth. Right. right. I'm responsible to you. I'm doing this. And then yeah. you're gonna have to make the decision. And uh yeah, and I think you know that's that's the that's the challenge of a Silas relationship. Um, a Silas, a Silas has got to be an effective Silas, has to be secure enough and not needing the uh, affirmation and approval and gratitude uh, of a Silee to ask the tough question to do it lovingly. That's what it's called the Silee. That's what's I, happening I right now. Yeah, that's the word. That's the that's 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 the word that has evolved. Silee. It's being used. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and I will say that um, you know that like Josh, there have been times when I should have spoken up, and I blinked. I didn't want to alienate the guy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's go back. The blog is called. Is it the view from the back step? Thoughts. Thoughts from the back Thoughts step. from the back step. Yeah. How long, and has this been a part of your spiritual growth and maturing? Are you doing this as much for yourself as you are for a reading public? Yeah, I, I'm one of those people I like to write. It's, it's really the best way for me to get my thoughts out coherently. I don't 
don't talk good. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> if I can write, it just, it helps me get everything in order. Um, and that's a wife's known that I'm, it's something I'm good at for a long time. And she kept dogging me like, you, you need to start writing this stuff for people you work with. Finally, I'm like, all right. Okay. So she helped me uh, get a website together. Uh, I've had it for, I think two years now. Um, and it, it's, it's been kind of fun. Um, it's, it's fun for me to, uh, pass my wisdom on. That's one of my favorite things to do at work is when we get the probationary guys and we call them probies, uh, to help them walk through, you know, what, what do I need to be learning in my day to day? Um, and I, I hadn't intended to do so much stuff with philosophy. It was, I had meant it more to be like a training blog to it. You know, this is how you force a door open. This is how you work a nozzle, but all this stuff just started spilling out of me and I went with it. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that it's to, to Yoda in your quotes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, how do our listeners find your blog? It's www.thoughtsfromthebackstep.com. All right. Yeah, I will say your recipe section is weak. We need I to, need to work on that. We need to beef that up. And I, I don't mean like <laughs> beef recipes, but what kind of recipes do you want? Because we can try to get people to send some stuff in. I would like to send you some recipes. And Aaron is passionate about this, by I the way. I am passionate about this. So yeah. what, what do you want? What do we need for these, these firefighters? Their turn to cook. Give us some direction. But the, there's two rules. Okay, it's got to taste good, okay. and it's got to be on the table on time. And other than that, it's you know whatever you want. Um, and, and I like. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I like and have you got a budget stuff. to work with? Yeah. So it, it depends on how many guys are in your house, and it, it can be anywhere from thirty dollars to ninety dollars. So you really got to stay in budget, because if you go over budget that's bad. Mm-hmm. It's coming out of your pocket. Um, and yeah. if you don't make enough food, if you last short, yeah, it's bad. So you got to make sure you got enough. Um, I like to do crock pot meals. I like to do uh, spaghetti and meatballs, um, stuff that my grandma used to make for me. Um, I like making gumbo, but these are complicated dishes and it's not for everybody. And I get that. But if I'm going to make a meal for you, I'm putting my heart and soul in it because I want you to taste how much I appreciate you oh, sharing see, that that's with me. The good, that's the meal sharing part, right? That's the meal sharing yeah. part. Yeah. I want you yeah. to taste how much I appreciate you. So listeners could email you with yep. ideas, and then yeah. you can filter out their bad ideas and keep the good <laughs> ideas. And yeah. there's only going to be like the two e- or three bad ideas, and I think you already know who you are, listeners. The email address <laughs> is connected with the blog is josh at jandbmass.com all right so well thanks so much for joining us it's been great it's been an illuminating uh and uh you know inspiring conversation it really has yeah Yeah. i want to keep going but we're we're way over time right now yeah yeah we have time (laughs) limitations unfortunately thanks josh i appreciate you guys having me okay our regards to your wife our love to your kids and we will be right back here on the pirate monk podcast Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. 
back on the pirate monk podcast okay so we we didn't get to answer one question there's no way we can answer it right now but you so s- but you're gonna ask it anyway <laughs> totally gonna ask it right now <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, if nothing else so that people can think about it and, okay. and you can guide their thoughts you are their spiritual formation pastor right i am now. not you will okay. lead electio divina right now i am not okay but i will listen to the okay. question with great from interest. the beginning you uh-huh. said every guy is in a war you know we're talking in a battle. about yeah, absolutely in a battle we're talking about police officers firefighters uh veterans who are in the, well yeah people who are in the army yeah in the military whatever branch they experience and are trained for certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, can you imagine if everybody came into the army and they were all day one? Yeah. That would just be chaos. Right. We need people who have been trained before, who have gone through it. Yes. So what? I mean, this is a Silas conversation. Mm-hmm. This is a multi-generational, not just age generational, but experiential generational. Right, exactly. Conversation. So what? what is the protocol when we need that kind of influence in our life, maybe we don't have it. Maybe it's not clean. People aren't wearing, you know, ribbons and badges and things that denote, I am the person for you to talk to. I am called Sergeant. What what do we do? I do think, you know, that in the absence of a clearly identified elder, uh, who's, or pastor, spiritual guide, who's, whose objectivity and wisdom we can trust. I think we have to put our trust in the words of Jesus, his promise that when two or three are gathered in his name, he'll be there. And we have to trust that even if it's a bunch of idiotic disciples who are together, that Jesus is somehow still present. I often say this, um, that... uh, it bothers me when I hear guys say, yeah, I still struggle. And they leave it right there. You know, I'm not perfect. I still have my struggles. And they won't get any more specific than that. Because I know that every man is in a battle. What I want to say is, really? 
Can we possibly be more specific? Now that you've admitted that the battle isn't over, can you tell me where the front line is today? Mm. And how long has it been since it moved? And where the battle is the hottest, are you alone? Because if you are, I don't have to ask whether you're losing. I know you are. Okay, so we need groups of men together. Yeah. We need specificity, not general right. besetting sin kind of conversation. not going to talk in code, right. And then the only other thing I want to add before I'll let you close and say we're buddies to everybody, all that stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not to minimize it, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you said where you don't have that, kind of hierarchical, oh, there's the pastor, there's the, yeah. you know. How do we learn that you can be a leader without being authoritative? Yeah. That we need men who step up and say, yeah, I've been doing this. I mean, there's a certain Samson guy that I'm thinking of right now that I've got to know recently, and I just think, wow, you have so much experience. Yeah. Just in life and recovery. He doesn't need to fit into a, pastoral mode if that means I have authority over someone. Right, right. But he is a leader by virtue of the path he's walked. How do we understand the difference? Yeah. I, well, I, here's the, I think here's the other point. I think um, we gain, I think we gain wisdom by making mistakes. Um, it, it's tragic to me that the church, the institutional church, the visual church, most often will uh, have somebody, uh, 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 approve of somebody as a pastor who has been to a course of study that's given them all the answers. They're skilled in giving all the answers, and they will allow him to be the pastor until he fails. If he has a life failure, he's disqualified from the ministry. But, and he'll, not, but he'll make a great Silas. But he'll make a great <laughs> Silas. I would say, I, here's when 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 I'm deep in a battle and I've and I've made a mistake. The guy I'm going to trust most is the guy who has made the same mistake and come through it. Um, the guy with battle scars. And um, and that's why as I'm as I've listened to to. Uh, our guest today, as I've listened to Josh, Josh doesn't, uh, he's a seasoned guy who I instinctively trust because he talks matter-of-factly and humbly about his own mistakes and failures. So the danger on both ends are the guys that feel like I can't step into that because I'm not an authoritative, I'm not a pastor. Right. To which you're saying, oh, well, you still might be a leader. Right. You don't yep. have to be the authority. And then others who say to lead other men I need to be an authority in their life, and yeah. they can go too far. And the middle is, dude, you've, we, we need more sergeants. How many lieutenants died that were sent to Vietnam because they were filled with philosophical information about battle, right. and they were killed immediately? Right. And then there were sergeants who would pick up the slack and say, yep, I've been here. And, and there is something about the, the power of those guys who have been there, yeah. and they can say, okay, th these philosophically this makes sense it's good it's right and there's a little bit more when we're going to apply it in the jungles you know i like this i have got a shirt at home it's a little bit big on me uh but my brother dan sent it to me years ago when he retired from the police force 
he's an extra large, I'm a large, but I think I'm going to wear it anyway because it has, the name on it is Sergeant Larkin. <laughs> there you go. And I don't aspire to any higher rank than that. No, you had a higher rank and it was nothing but danger. <laughs> you, you came you came out of West Point straight into the battle yeah. and tried to lead people into the jungles that you had never walked through. Boy, that is true. That is so true. Wow. Sergeant Larkin, we need to sign off now. <laughs> I give you permission. Oh. Wait, that, what's that make me? No, that's I'm going to be Private Porter. Okay. PP. Well, uh it has been a, a, a as always, an enjoyable afternoon, a nice time sitting with you, talking with you. We had an interesting guest. I look forward to it next week when we have yet another interesting guest. Until then, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much of love drives a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire.